Well, good morning, my friends. I'm so glad that you have chosen to be in this place on this day. And I believe, <clears throat> I believe that God has got something very, very significant to share with us today uh, through his word. Uh, as we read some of the things that we read today and as we talk about some of the things that we're going to talk about today, uh, some of you will probably say, really, that's, that's in God's word. Uh, and the answer is yes, 100%. It is in his word. And so uh, that's why we've had some, some fair warnings for you and some things that we felt like you needed to know beforehand um, as we talk about a, a challenging subject today. You've probably already seen the title. If you have not, we're talking about bad theology and where bad theology meets marriage, gender, and human sexuality. And it's a big deal. It, it's, it matters. Uh, the church needs to deal with this in a, a healthy and a holy and a biblical way. Uh, just thinking through what's happened over the last couple of weeks in this room, um, we ask you to send in uh, questions pertaining to places where we see uh, bad theology. Maybe it's things we struggle with. Maybe it's things we see in our world that we live in. And uh, boy, have you sent some amazing questions. Uh, these questions have, have led us, and by us I'm talking about uh, not only Drew and I, but also our staff as we've dug into this and prayed through this and, and different things that we have gone through. But uh, so many of your questions pushed us to the whys and the hows and the so what do we do nows. And that is where we come to today. The question that we deal with today was the number one question asked by you here at the Grove. Uh, I think we got this question five different times, at least four, I think five different times in different ways. And we have not avoided this question, but there was a clear foundation that needed to be laid to how we get to this spot, how we dig in, how we know what the truth is, and then where we go from there. That, that, that foundation had to be set. This question was asked in several different ways. Um, and I'm going to give you just a couple of those in the way that it was asked. And hopefully this is a help for everyone in the room. How do we as followers of Jesus Christ respond to those who promote and celebrate LBGTQ+. Now, another way that it was asked is homosexuality is sin and how do I help friends or what do I do if I'm struggling? And another way that it was asked is, uh, is it different from any other sins? And then the last part of it, and we don't need to miss this part, and, and, and you need to know up front, we're going to lay the foundation for this today and what the Word says about it. And then next week, just because the subject is way too broad, we're going to talk about how does the church respond to this? How do we as individual followers of Christ respond to this? Now, this is where this gets real. This is where, <clears throat> this, is where this hits our hearts personally. If I went around this room and talked to every single individual in this room, the reality is you either know a friend or know a family member who is struggling in this area to some degree, 
or you are that person. And I want you to know that there's hope in Christ bigger than we could ever imagine on any side of this. He's bigger. The songs that we just sang, I will make room for you. Well, we have to to allow God to have every part of our life that he desires. And I don't know if you realize what that is, but that is every part of our life. So it's not just making a little corner room for Jesus. So we got a place to go on Sunday mornings. It's every part of us, every part of who we are. But if I'm honest, and I think if we are honest as the church, we've not handled this very well. We're either scared of it or dismissive. We either condone it Or we kind of run from it. I think today <clears throat> is where we just go into this and we see what God says about it uh, and find out how we're supposed to handle this. We need to understand the biblical truth on this topic. We need to learn to work with the reality of the situation in the most Christ-like way possible. <clears throat> and he did give us some very clear pictures of how he did handle situations like this in the Word. And we'll go into that next week. The first passage I want to share with you is kind of a foundation of where we go with this, how we, how we deal with this before we ever get to the point of what it is. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26 says this. You'll see it up on the screen. It's on the outline that we gave you as well. The Apostle Paul said this. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. The first thing that just absolutely jumps off the page right there to me is that to be kind to everyone. Okay? So this is not a spot where we're just out to harm people. That's not what this is about. Here's verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then verse 26, and then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Now, three things, and these are here maybe the three most important phrases you get this entire morning, but this is where our heart has to be on this. And and as a disciple of Christ, not one just calls themselves a Christian, but one who is a disciple of Christ, he says this, he says, gently instruct those oppose the truth so when you talk about it you're not out to hurt you're out to help so you speak the truth in love the second one is this sin is always a trap set by the devil most people didn't just say okay this is what i'm going to do it was not that was not where this came from all different kinds of things happened that might have led to this spot so it's a trap that's been set and the last one the most important i think that we never can forget this right here God is always the one who has to change the heart. So no matter how bad I want to change a heart, I can't, and neither can you. Remember, it is God Almighty that does this. Now, Drew and I have talked about this for literally weeks now. And so I'm going to ask him to go ahead and join me. That is the introduction, and we're going to go straight into questions, dealing with this this morning. And uh, I feel confident that when we get through with this, you will still have questions, and that is perfectly fine. 
And uh, you can send those to me, you can send those to Drew, and we will be more than glad to help you as we walk through this. So, what does God teach us about marriage and gender and human sexuality? And we're going to start with one that's uh, on the topic because it is right up front. It is in our national government right now, has been voted on several times in strange ways. But here's the question, can marriage be based upon popular opinion? And I've done a lot of study, a lot of research on this, but a couple of things, just a practical side of this. Why does the government regulate marriage and not our friendships? Because it does. Well, see, there's an outcome that comes from marriage, which can be children. There's also an income that comes that can come from marriage, like we buy things together. And we put both of our names on these things because biblically the two become one. And that is physically, financially, uh, and emotionally as a sense, and even spiritually in a kind of a strange way because we push one another towards Christ. So there's a, a responsibility, a legal responsibility that happens there. So can we define marriage according to popular opinion? Uh, God has given every human being a free will. So... We can actually uh, come up with our own definition, but that does not make it a right definition. Either we realize and trust him as creator and savior, or we choose to do things our own way according to our thoughts, according to our feelings, according to what we think. So there, there is really a right and there isn't everything else. Yeah, when we, we address questions like this, we have to remember we're talking about two different worldviews, really, a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. So when we approach topics, hopefully we look to Scripture to guide us, but we have to remember that, that a lot of the world does not. Um, and, and so we need to be, as you said, gentle. Um, we need to be kind, but we also want to stand on Scripture because we believe that God created the world and man in his image. Then we have to believe that his definition of marriage is absolute. So, from that, one of the most difficult questions I think we get is if, for instance, homosexuality is, is such a big deal, and it is in so much of the Christian world, uh, why did Jesus not talk about it specifically? So, Jesus didn't specifically talk about homosexuality. Uh, the train of thought is that because Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality, then uh, he essentially condones it. Yeah. Can that possibly be right? Well, that line of thinking doesn't really add up. Um, it doesn't measure up to logic because there are plenty of things that Jesus didn't address specifically um, that the Bible still addresses elsewhere. And, and because we know uh, that Jesus spoke with authority. He gave that same authority to Scripture uh, whenever he spoke. You think about Matthew 6, 18, when you see Peter declare that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. Uh, part of what he's doing there is, is he is establishing the writing and the teaching of the apostles as Scripture. Um, he's helping us define that. And so every bit of Scripture carries the weight and authority of Jesus himself. Hmm. So... I love the way A.C. Miner said this. I actually put this on your outline and stuff just so you could read this for your own self. Uh, no, Jesus didn't directly address the social issue of homosexuality. However, that does not mean that he approved of the practice. Jesus 
was Christ, or Jesus Christ was God Almighty in the flesh. God does not change. If God the Father was against homosexuality in the beginning, which was before Jesus physically came to earth, we're talking about Old Testament here, and if Jesus uh, and if the Holy Spirit was against homosexuality post ascension, uh, after Jesus physically left the earth, that means that Jesus too was against homosexuality. So Jesus is Jesus is the second part of the Trinity of Holy God. John said, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." So. The same God who inspired the words of the Old Testament is the same God who inspired the words of the New Testament. And guess who was involved in all of that? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he's in all there. In uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 to 6, uh, words of Jesus. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So Jesus is quoting Genesis here. Yeah, so Jesus even takes us back to creation, uh, to the foundation where God established marriage. And as you just said, because God created man in his image, because he is triune, Jesus has spoken about homosexuality. Uh, and so it, he, he has given us his thoughts and his um, truth uh, as far as sexuality. And he has said that anything outside of his design for marriage, which is one man, one woman for life, anything outside of that is sin. So we don't have to like that, but we have to know what he says. Right about that now um, Jesus is referring to God in creation as the one who created marriage uh, Jesus is God Jesus is the word in the flesh Jesus is that third part of the Trinity or technically the second part of the Trinity but he's he's part of the Trinity and he inspired and think about this he inspired Moses to write what we read in Genesis that he now quotes himself, he quotes it in Matthew now. It's the same author in both places. Which leads to another question that, that what do we do with the word in this? How do we deal with the word in this? Do we, do we live by the truth of the word of God or do we, uh, in, a, in a broader way, do we have liberty to, to take or leave what we want to or to even rewrite or reinterpret, reinterpret what we believe or what we want to believe in the Bible. Do we have that kind of liberty? Yeah, so we're essentially asking, is God's word absolute truth? Um, is it sovereign? Is it authoritative? The short answer, it is. Uh, so we must obey it as it is written without modification. So this is a spot where I think a lot of us struggle. And, it's, right. and, and even as, a, as strong followers of Christ uh, who've read the word cover to cover and studied it in depth and taught uh, almost every part of it, uh, there are parts that we're not going to completely understand. Matter of fact, I've got a kind of a short list of things that, man, one day I really would like to know the answer to this, Lord. And if you don't give it to me here, I'll look forward to it on the other side. But I want to know what you say about this so in responding to to culture or popular opinion on this um, 
one of the, the arguments is, can we trust the writings of the Apostle Paul? And my question is, think about what you've got to give up if you start pulling things out of Paul. You've got the whole book there that talks about grace. You've got a whole book that talks about being uh, saved by, by grace through faith in the Son of God. You've got Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For We're not saved by what we do, but what He did. It's not of ourselves. So we have to toss that out as well. So is it okay to tweak what God taught us? Do we have the authority to adjust what we read so that it's relevant to what we want or relevant to modern society? Can we do that? And the, the struggle, I think, comes from the fact that, that Paul addresses certain things that are specific to the area, that are specific to the region, that are specific to the church. Um, but when it comes to the truth about sexuality, we have to look at the entirety of Scripture, like we've just talked about. Uh, we, we don't get to pick and choose the, the parts. We have to look at what Jesus has said, what, the, what, what God has said in the Old Testament, New Testament, all of it together rather than just taking it and saying it's not relevant because it's, it's not a part of our culture today. Hmm. So one of the toughest passages to deal with in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul talked about is in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and following. And uh, I hope that you'll look at that with me. It says, Therefore, God delivered them over in, their, in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they whispered and served. I'm out with a whisper. They worshiped quietly. They didn't whisper. <laughs> Maybe that's what we do in here sometimes when we get really quiet in our worship. We're not whispering. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. But the amen didn't stop there. That was just an explanation mark at the end of the sentence. Verse 26 says, For this reason God delivered them over to disgraceful passions, and the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, and men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. I don't know if you see what's going on here, but there's tough love going on here with God. He delivered them over. Everybody involved with this, they were delivered over. And if we're honest, churches don't often deal with perpetual sin very well. We just kind of let it go and we don't, we don't hit it uh, head on as we would need to. We'd rather let them go than love them back to Jesus, but... What Paul says here is God's got a better way, so he delivered them over. We'll dig into that, but you wanted to say something there. Yeah, I think this may be one of the biggest failures of the church and why it seems that we respond to homosexuality so harshly is because we really haven't stood on Scripture in any other sexual sins. We haven't stood our ground there, so when we draw the line with homosexuality, it seems like we're being unfair. And maybe we are, honestly. Uh, I think the best thing we can do is hold fast to Scripture in every sin, in every circumstance, in every case of sexual morality, and lovingly point people to Jesus. So I hate to kind of deal with the rough spot in the room right now, but just one that we really don't deal with right now. I'll be honest, Drew and I do as we do in mar marital counseling now because it's become a necessary thing because we... Uh, even as believers and people who call themselves strong in the Lord say, 
uh, sex before we get married is perfectly fine as long as we're getting married. We're devoted to each other. I'm just saying, does the word say that anywhere? But yet we just make an excuse for it. So guess what? One of the difficult questions we ask now. Are you honoring the Lord in your, marriage, in your pre-marriage now before you get married because you want to honor the Lord after you get married? But yet we haven't really dealt with that. And I'm just telling you some of the looks that I get. How dare you ask me that? Well, really, I didn't. It was kind of already put here. So it says that God delivered them over. The New American Standard says gave them over. So did God just like let them go to live out this end? Or did he purposely release them with a specific goal in mind? Yeah, it's not that God wants them to rebel or go their own way. Uh, I mean, certainly that is his desire. Uh, but he does allow us to stray at times and experience the consequences of our sins. We talked about this in the bridge ministry on Wednesday night. The, the hope of that is that we'll reach rock bottom, right? That, that we'll feel the weight of those consequences that we'll feel that conviction and recognize our need for him and cry out to him in desperation and in, in repentance that's the whole purpose is that we reach that point and we go man my way really didn't work that was terrible maybe there's a better way and so as i was reading this week of course one of my favorite writers is uh, chuck swindoll he's been discipling me since i was about 14 uh, and he's made a little bit of progress he says this Giving us over to our sin is for redemptive reasons. It's like a wake-up call. He doesn't help the addict by giving them a hot shower and a warm bed. Instead, he leaves them in his filth and struggle until he wakes up and wants better. It's almost like the story of the prodigal son. He lets him go. He lets him go so far out until he figures out he's eating the food that the pigs eat, and he's got it better at home if he would just stop and go back to the Lord. But what if we look back again to see what the Old Testament says about this struggle? I mean, so we've already looked at, at God's creation, the way he created man and woman and the marriage that he created them for. But Old Testament law was incredibly specific. Matter of fact, it's a little embarrassing to read. But we can't avoid it. Okay, now remember, this is Old Testament law. Okay, and there were a lot of them. And in these Old Testament laws, they were so specific that they even said, this is what happens if you do that. Uh, Drew, would you mind reading Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13 to 15? Sure. It says, If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They must both be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. If a man marries both a woman and her mother, he has committed a wicked act. The man and both women must be burned to death to wipe out such wickedness from among you. If a man has sex with an animal, he must be put to death, and the animal must be killed. Are you kidding? That's in Scripture? It is. It is, you know, and, and what he's showing us there is there is a downward spiral to sin. I don't know if you see that so clearly, but there's a downward spiral because it starts here, but it's like, wow, can it get worse? Okay, can it get worse? Well, can it get worse? Look at where we started. We used to say, People struggle with one sin, but now we've got letters with a plus at the end of it because it's just it just keeps going. 
Our minds are creative. Biblically, sin separates us from God. Any sin, not, not just a sin, but any sin separates us from God. And reading Leviticus chapter 20, it's painful, and it deals with terrible things that are not even fun to read and might cause us nightmares. Stuff like being put to death. But remember what we're learning here. The wages of sin is death. Which goes back to the Apostle Paul in Romans. The wages of sin is death. So There is a price to be paid. Right? Sin always has a consequence. You know, I think about John 10, 10, that said, where Jesus says, I've come to give them life. But before that, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is the purpose of sin. There's always a price to be paid for that. And that really is death. Even if it doesn't reveal itself immediately, it's ultimately death, destruction. Um, and, of course, that seems really harsh. You're talking about burning people, um, killing both people, killing everybody involved. Uh, so I think the question is, is there room for grace? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Jesus came that we might have life and have life abundantly, but it's life his way and not our way. God sent Jesus so that if we would trust him by grace through faith, that we would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. So what I see in looking at all this, clearly these things uh, are sin according to God's word, Old Testament, New Testament, but in today's society, you don't have to look far to find new explanations, new excuses, but things are different in our world today. Clearly, the Word just doesn't understand. It hasn't caught up. We need to help it catch up. <clears throat> you can find churches who are LGBTQ. <clears throat> in their teachings, in their theology, in their songs from the top down. Some churches are no longer... Uh, no, some churches literally no longer recognize uh, Paul's writings. I don't know if you realize what that does, but it gives up 13 books of the New Testament. 13 books that we treasure. According to God's word, all sex outside of what God defined as being good is sexual immorality. So it is sin. Sex before marriage is Sin, can we even say it? I mean, uh, sex outside of one's marriage is sin. And uh, sex outside of what God created and, and, and where he created it for, it is sin. Uh, again, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin, is so clearly, uh, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And then the Holy Spirit led Paul to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 to 11. He says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived. Not, do not be deceived. No sexual immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves. Greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, the, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. 
But verse 11, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were changed. Got Questions has a good article in this. It's, uh, it is important to note that sexual immorality, including same-sex activity, is listed alongside other sins in Scripture. It's right here as well in Paul's letters, indicating that God does not rank one sin as worse than another. All sin, as you said, separates us All from God. All of it. And it just takes, it just takes one. Now, the key that I see in this passage here, though, Drew, uh, I find the wording here very indicative of what, what Holy Spirit's trying to get us to catch here. And this is what it is. They didn't just commit adultery. They were adulterers. Let that sink in. They didn't just commit it. They were adulterers. Males didn't just have sex with males. They have sex with males. It's not what they did specifically, but it's because that was all they did. Uh, it, it became who they were in a very real sense. In a, in a sense, that sin became their identity. So those who practice these things, he says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's no change that happens in their life. Practice. Uh, th this is not uh, a sin you commit. It's a life you live. It's unrepentant. It does not care what God says. It's going to do its own way. I love uh, verse 11. I think that's key. It says you used to be like this, but Jesus changed you. And that's who you were. It's not who you are. The last question, and I know we're tight on time, but I think this is important. We, we hit this last part here. What about gender identity and, and sexual preference? Uh, again, technically, you can, you can claim anything. You can believe anything for yourself. You've got a right to choose to believe whatever you want to believe. But just because we claim it, it doesn't mean it's truth. If you go back to Genesis, God created them male and female. Uh, it's evident at birth. Uh, it's also defined by our DNA from our very conception. So God is the definer of that. Uh, the following that I want to share with you here as we're, we're right at, at closing this up uh, came from a, uh, a letter that one of our church members sent us, um, not dealing with something specific here, but in another case. But I thought it was so well said that we needed to hear this. It was a different perspective than I've ever heard. And this will actually press us into where we go uh, next week. But this person said this. They said, I find it more today than ever before in my life that people are struggling to figure out who they are. In the past, our culture pretty much set the path on what we, need, on what we needed to be. Today, those definitions have been obscured to the point that it is clearly confusing young folks. People are looking for their identity in work, family, friends, activities, gender, sexuality, power, riches, etc., etc. And some of, those, some of these have healthy aspects to them, but I struggle when our identity is not first and foremost grounded in our Creator and Savior. 
You see where our identity has to be. I love where he goes with this. He says, I, I see this as one of the missing pieces for uh, so many seeking to be loved and missing the one that truly loves them. And one more part of this said that, says this. With our world creating ambigu- uh, ambiguity in individual identity, I find it important for churches to have identity grounded in God's word, in prayer, in the fellowship of believers, listening to the Holy Spirit, and filled with grace and love and truth. I feel no allegiance to the world, and yet I want to speak to individuals in this world with truth and in love. Our identity can't be in what we are sexually our identity can't be in what we own physically our identity can't be in the power that we have Uh, it can't be in what we look like matter of fact our identity can't even be in the church that you go to our identity has to be in Christ because in Christ if we know Christ we are a child of the living God and that has to be my identity Drew I'm going to let you roll man and our people are going to have an opportunity to respond I just wanted to give you some realities of, of where our hearts need to be in this the first one's just realize that all sin's a downward spiral all sin this is just one of them, but all sins are down one spiral. And, and, and sexuality has been redefined in so many ways that many of us could never have imagined over the last three to four decades. You can see it in Leviticus. You can see it in Corinthians. You can see it in Romans. You can see it in the Revelation. You can see it in Timothy, first and second. Also, I think we need to realize this. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. It's not just a physical war. It's a very real thing. Society has divided us over this. Churches are divided over this. Right now, in this city, are divided over this. Children are being indoctrinated from preschool on in some circumstances. If, if there's any ever time for parents to be involved in their kids' education, this is it. This diversity is the new normal And if you don't buy into it, you're stuck in the past or you're not woke. I'm just telling you, what we need to be woke to is what Christ wants. What he teaches us. But are we going to trust ourselves and our feelings and the pressure of this world? Or will we trust the Lord and his unchanging word? I think that is our choice. I know that we need to be aware and and sensitive and compassionate Because there are so many in our society that have been abused in the past that often leads to this type of ungodly behavior later on. So, may we wake up to the truth that every human being needs Jesus Christ. May we have the slow to anger, patience with the gospel until... 
those that we love finally turn around, finally turn back to Christ, no matter what that sin is, but specifically with this today. That means we never stop praying. It means we never stop loving. We don't change our ways and then come to Jesus. We, we come to Jesus and then he changes us. I don't know if you realize that's what happened in your life, but that's what happened in your life. You didn't get it all right and then come to Jesus. You came to Jesus and then he changed you. We come to Jesus and then he changes us from the inside out. I've had two of those moments that have happened this week where a couple of our parents came to me and said, hey, you need to hear about what happened to my kid this week. We've had two of our awesome elementary girls that have come to Jesus in a very real way this week. And you're going to get to see that celebrated over the next couple of, of weeks. My question for you is this. Have you done what they have done? Have you given it all to Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Him by the love and grace that He offers you? If you haven't, that's what He's got for you today. And if you have been on the side of this subject that we're hitting on today and you've not loved how are they going to know Christ doesn't matter what the sin is Father so difficult but so real such a challenge for our society God but such a challenge for us is those who want to be true disciples of Christ for what it might cost but Lord for what we must what we must give if we've never trusted you by grace through faith let that happen first God if it's time for us to love something we really struggle with in order to help someone to love that person Help us that we find ourselves at your altar standing in the gap for those who may be walking in sin even right now. Help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.